You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. This morning we're going to be looking at Romans 8. We come to verse 31. Verse 31. And we're going to just cover today 31 and 32. This is going to be the first part of hopefully just another two-part message. Um, I just don't think I'm going to get past this first point. I don't want to go too fast. It's going to be good. I think it's good. But uh, if you would, please, once more, stand with me in reverence to the reading of the Holy Word of God. We began reading in verse 1. The Bible says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep as for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Fabulous, fabulous verses. Let's see if God will do something in our midst this morning. Heavenly Father, please bless the reading and preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Our title this morning is Overwhelming Security. It's a theme that's been all the way through verse 8. I have two or three of the messages I think we've taught through chapter 8 had the word security in it. That's because that's one of the very reasons that God put this chapter in the Bible. I don't understand how somebody could read Romans chapter 8 and come away thinking, you know, you could lose that salvation. And so... The main thrust here is he's, he's gotten through, basically, he's gotten through the doctrinal teaching issues, uh, but he, now he's just kind of going to riff, if you would, on, uh, he's just going to go full-throated on how to praise God for the security he brings to our life. And it's just amazing. And he starts it off with this word, with this phrase. What shall we say to these things? He said, now that now somebody argues that just goes back a verse two. I told you last week it goes back to verse one. At the least, at the least it goes back to verse one. Some has said it means the whole book. 
that, that God is saying here through Paul, what should we say to these things? The whole teaching of the gospel, which is all he's done. I don't have a problem with that either. But he's in chapter 8 talking about security, and he just kind of blasts it on through with these next four or five things. I guess you could say if everything Paul has just thought to be true, if you think that it's true, if we know that it's true, who would be so moronic to come against him? Right? To come against us. Who would be so foolish to charge us? Now, if you haven't been to our studies, you've got to understand, the Bible says in verse 28, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The Bible says he fills the spirit. On and on. We are his children. We've been adopted. And then it says that we were foreknown for love before the foundation of the world, that we were predestined before the foundation of the world, that we were called in time, that effectual call that gets its intended result. And then God declared us justified and says we're even glorified, although we're not yet, but when God says it's going to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. So you have that. And so he says, what do we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It'd be moronic to be against us. It'd be foolish to charge us. Who would be so disrespectful of God to try and condemn us when it is God that said, you're not guilty, who justified and who would be so, forgive me, stupid to think that they can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? That's just ignorance. It's just anti-scripture. You're not going to find it. It cannot happen. It will not happen. And in our text, God shows them that they are, that these that would come against us are fighting a losing battle. <laughs> Amen? But nonetheless, Paul addresses and answers the four hypothetical adversaries that may try to separate us from the love of God. Now, did he have someone specific in mind? We have no idea. Uh, or is this just generally if these arguments come up? That may be true because they do. They do. You old Baptist believe you can do anything you want to and go still go to heaven. And uh, on and on and on they go. Well, first of all, I want you to notice the first one, and this is all we're going to cover today. You see our antagonists. Our antagonists. Who can be against us? Who would be against us? Well, I tell you who'd be against us, the devil. I mean, I could name a few things. Our enemies, people don't like us. There's a lot of people that would be against us. A lot of people that would want to take away our part in salvation and in Christ and in heaven. But whoever it be, they're not going to be successful. Now, I'm going to do something. You're fixed to say, you're going to ask when I give you my next point. You know, you're going to ask, how does this relate to the subject at hand? Who can be against us? Our antagonists. Because I'm fixing to explain to you, I'm not going to talk about the antagonists. I'm going to talk about the reason they shouldn't try it. The reason they shouldn't come against us. Now look, if you would, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll get back to it. Look at verse 32. It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son... 
That's what God did to get you. He did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up. We'll talk about all that, what that means. He delivered him up for us all. And how shall then, if he did that for us, how shall he not freely give us all things? I want to tell you, God completes what he starts. He's not fickle. He never changes like we do. And his intention is to make you who have believed in him like Christ. And he's going to ha- it's going to happen. And he intends to bring you home with him one day to heaven. Here's my first sub-point. Number one, the history of Abraham and God's promise. Wow, that looks like it's out of left field, but I promise you by the end of this, you'll be uh, shouting inside, if not out loud, or you should be anyway. This is a good point. The history of Abraham and God's promise. Let's talk a little bit about Abraham. If you don't know anything at all about Abraham, Abraham was, uh, was God's chosen man to begin the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, let's read it in Genesis 12, verse 1. I'm going to read it. It's up on the board here. You can follow along. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now Abraham was, I don't know, the great, 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 great grandson of Noah somewhere down in there. And at the time that Noah, excuse me, that Abraham was 50 years old, Noah was still alive. Do y'all realize that? Do you realize that two of Noah's sons outlived Abraham? Now this is where Abraham lived. And he was a few years after Noah, but this was the time frame. And he lived in Ur, which was south of Babylon, of where Babylon would be. And it was over there in that region, over there where modern Iraq is today. And God went to them and his family, which was steeped in idolatry already, but there was some sense of God in them. And God called Abraham. Now here it is. The Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family. And verse 2, and I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Now remember that. I will make you a great... What happens to make a great nation? We've got to have kids, right? So listen, that's back then they did. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old. 75 years old when God made this promise. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And we could go on and read where he talks about that you're going to have a son and your son is going to have children and your children, Abraham, the children that will come from you and Sarah, his wife, will be as countless as the sands of the beach and the sea. That's what he tells him. 75 years old. Now, how many of you would be willing to admit that you're 75 or older in the building today? Okay. A couple of honest people. No, a few people. We have several here. Now, what if your wife or if you went to the doctor tomorrow and he said, I've been sick to my stomach, doc. What's wrong with you? He says, well, you're pregnant. How'd you like that? 
So I wouldn't like that. Now, I understand, I understand Abram, Abraham lived to 120. They lived a lot longer, uh, a lot, many more years then, but, uh, but uh, Abraham still, 75, even to them, was getting close to where you don't do that. Uh, when ladies get pregnant after 40, a lot of times they pay close attention to them because it can be in a dangerous place for them. He said, your wife, which was 65, she was 65, a little bit better, right? She was 65. He said, you're going to have a, a baby. Abraham, you know what Abraham said? I believe you. And he got up and he left. He went over into the Can over towards Canaan, over towards the land where modern Israel is now. And he established himself with Lot. And God blessed Abraham and Sarah. And God told them, well, so uh, 75, 76, 77, 85, 90, 95, 100 years old, and no baby. But Abraham still believed God. Don't, don't think that he doubted God. He just thought God wanted some help. And so Sarah said, you take my handmaid, and you have a baby with her, and we'll take that as our child. Maybe that's what God meant. And she did that, and of course, it just messed everything up. Of course, it was just a terrible thing. And then one day, the angel of the Lord, most likely Jesus himself, and two other angels came to Abraham at his tent. And the angel of the Lord told him, and he bowed down and worshiped him. And we think that's one reason why we think it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And he said, Abraham... I'm telling you that you and Sarah are going to have a child. I'm going to visit Sarah within the year and she will conceive and bear you a son. And Sarah was in the other room or other tent and the Bible says she laughed. She laughed. And the angel of the Lord said, told Abraham, said, why is your wife laughing? You need to control your woman. No, that's not what he said. That's not and he said, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah heard him and she immediately said, it was a goat. <laughs> you heard a goat. She said, I did not laugh. Lied to Jesus right there face to face. He ignored it and said, you will have a child. And just as the angel Lord predicted, Sarah conceived a year later and bore Isaac, their son. But at 90 years old, 100 years old, the only child, the promise of God, all of the joy and wonder that went into having Isaac. They must have been on cloud 23. I don't know. Is it better the further you go up from nine? I don't know. But I mean, here it was. And so they had Isaac, their son. They saw and was proved by God that his word is always true and he can be believed. And Abraham loved God. He loved God. He believed God to the nth degree. Don't ever question that. A lot of times his faith might have got a little weak, but never question that Abraham didn't believe God. He did. He might have tried to get ahead of God, help God, but he always believed that God was going to come through with his word, and he did. The history of Abraham and God's promise. But number two, the hold of Abraham's faith in God's promise. As I've already said, the hold that he had. He clung to the promise of God, and he believed it with every inch of his being. 
He got a hold of God and he believed in him. And if you don't believe that, read with me beginning in Genesis 22 and verse 1. And this is where I'm wanting to get to today. We'll have it on the board. You can follow along with me. Genesis 22, 1. I'm going to be reading quite a bit. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And he inserted that in there, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. As a burnt offering. I don't know what Abraham thought. Maybe at first he thought God has a sense of humor. It's kind of sick, but that's terrible. Surely not. He said, no, go and on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham, now listen. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Why did Abraham rise early in the morning? I don't know exactly. I am just saying probably because he hadn't slept all night. And he rose early in the morning, committed to God and doing what God said. But my friend, I want to tell you, he loved that boy. It was the boy of his old age, their only child. It was his wife, Sarah, whom he loved. It was her son. And he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son. Can you imagine as he went into the room of Isaac and woke him up as he looked down at that sleeping boy as we many times do go in and our children sleeping and what a sweet sight it is safely, sweetly and safely and well. And Abraham knows what's fixing to happen and he wakes him up. And Isaac is done and, and, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, can you see him as he takes that axe and as he hammers down upon that wood, seeing his own hand come down with that knife into the heart of his son or across the throat of his son like you would a lamb or a goat? I bet Abraham was seeing every minute detail of sacrificing his son to God. But he woke up, he got his donkey ready, he got his men, he got his son, he split the wood, and off they went. And on the third day, can you imagine that journey? Walking hand in hand with your only son. Watching him as he goes out in front and plays and chases the rabbits and, 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 and watches the birds and throws rocks. and I don't know what they played with back then. and Ran around his dad and the two servants and maybe the servants playing, they didn't know what was going on, playing tag and hide and go seek. Three days they would travel and they'd sleep and they'd travel and they'd sleep and they'd travel. And finally they came to the land that God had told him to go to, Moriah. And he said, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Maybe inside of himself, he said, one more day. Surely we haven't gone that fast. Maybe one more day. Can we squeeze one more day out of this journey? And Abraham said to his young men, you stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. Now listen, listen, and we will come back to you. Now I don't know. If he was just trying to tell them, not, not give away what was going on, or if he thought to himself, surely God is going to raise him from the dead. He can do that. He's God. 
God will raise him from the dead or God will cause it to where he doesn't die from the wounds. He didn't know. Maybe that's what he's saying. We'll come back to you. Or maybe he was just saying, just wait here. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, to carry. And he took fire in his hand and a knife. Can you imagine as he took that fire and saw the body of his son sizzling on that altar? Folks, this ain't pretty. This isn't flannel graph. It was real. He was going to slice the throat of his son or jab him in the heart, kill him as a sacrifice, and burn his body as a burnt offering to God because he believed God. And he had the fire in his hand and he looked at that knife and the two of them went together But Isaac spoke to Abraham. I bet every time the boy spoke to him, he had to fight back tears. And and this is what he said. Isaac spoke to Abraham's father said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham speaking prophetically, although he did not know it, said, my son God will provide himself a lamb. God is going to provide us a sacrifice, son. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking, it's you, it's you, my poor son, it's you. He had no thought of a real lamb. He just wasn't going to tell his son, I'm fixing to kill you. So the two of them went together. Then they came to a place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son. Bound him with cords so that he would not move or run. And took his squirming, not understanding body and laid it upon this altar of wood. Verse 10, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He had every intention of killing the boy for God's word. And I don't think he did it. His hand might have been raised. His intention might have been right. His faith might have been strong. But I guarantee you, his tears were hot. His tears were hot. Verse 11, hallelujah. But the angel of the Lord. (laughs) That same angel that announced that he'd be born. Called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Can you imagine the quickest drawback and turnaround you've ever seen in your life? Here I am. Where was I? What verse? He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And in heaven. Jesus Christ had his own thoughts of how one day his dad would sacrifice him for you. Why you get drunk? Why we cuss? Why we commit our adulteries? Why we tell our lies? Why we sin? For those very sins, Christ would one day be sacrificed by his own father for you. Let's keep reading. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket 
by its horns. I wonder if when that happened, if Jesus didn't look down at that scene, having most likely caused it, thought, one day I'll wear a crown of thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram, and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And I wonder if Christ said to himself, one day I will be given as an offering and a sacrifice, but no one will be able to be in my stead. If I don't die, all of humanity goes to hell. But if I will die and rise from the dead, they will be saved. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided it may be good to know that this mountain is Mount Moriah where the temple would one day sit the last sub point is this the hope of Abraham in God's promise the hope of Abraham in God's promise number one I want you to see that in our text, I think God had in mind Abraham in the story of Isaac, although it may not be there, but, but I want you to see the price God paid. Look at verse 32 again. Or verse 31, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, God, who did not spare his own son, like he spared Isaac, he would not hold back the thorns. He would not hold back the spear he would not hold back the spikes he would not hold back the spit he would not hold back the nakedness he would not hold back the punches he would not hold back the death from his own son but he delivered him up God delivered Christ up he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, that's the, I'm preaching the gospel for those of you, some of you here, you've never been saved, never been born again. Maybe you've never even thought about it. Or maybe you said a prayer when you were a kid and you're just trying to get out of hell, but you never have dealt with your sin and love for a Christ that would die in your place. But today, maybe God is speaking to you. But the other half is for us that know Christ. How shall he not with him? If he went through all of that to save us, how shall he not with us freely give us all things as he promised? Now, this is good perspective. I thought about it, and I read a commentator on it, and I thought he said it better. So I'm quoting here a, a, fellow, comment, a, a fellow, a commentator that commentates on these verses. Now, listen, I love this. Shout if you want to. How could it possibly be that God would sacrifice his own son for the sake of those who believe in him and then cast some of those blood-bought believers out of his family and his kingdom? Would God do less? Now listen, this is a great perspective. Would God do less for believers after they are saved than he did for them prior to being saved? He died for them when they were rotten, filthy, dirty, rotten, wicked iniquitous sinners you think he's going to abandon them after he's changed them would he do less for his children than he did for his enemies if God loved us so much while we were wretched sinners that he delivered up his own son for us would he turn his back on us after we have been cleansed from our sin and made righteous in his sight it's not right it's not true it can't be 
No, my friend, you have, as I call one servant, sovereign security. You don't have to worry if you have been born again. Yes, you still sin, but it's your flesh. It's your old, and it, it's not even your old man. It's just your flesh. Your old man has been killed and died, and a new man's been in play and put inside of you. It's called the new birth, and you're new in Christ. No wonder Paul proclaims in Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter would say in 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that he might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds we are healed. In, in, in the New King James, it says, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. But actually the word should be cross and that's the way it's, it's translated in the New American Standard Bible. It means something made of wood is what it means. He's talking about the cross, amen? No wonder Peter said that. We need to have the attitude of, the attitude of Paul when in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he said, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh, my friend, we need to rally around the banner of the cross and thank God and fall on our face. Because he died in our place. He took our place. And what Abraham pictured by sacrificing his son and God stopped him and provided a lamb, it was a picture that God was saying, one day, Abraham, one day, for you and all of your promised children and all of your elect children and all of those that will come after you and believe and be saved, my son is going to pay the price for their sin, the promise of God made, the price of God paid, and secondly and lastly, the promise of God made. If God is for us, do you realize this is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so we might as well say God is for us. God loved us before time began. God planned our redemption in eternity past. God predestined all things to bring us to faith in Christ. God gave up his son in our place. God called us with a holy calling. God declared us not guilty. God gave us new life in Christ. God will one day send Jesus to come and receive us unto himself. God is for us. God is for us. And every promise that God has made, you can hold on to it like Abraham. And when God calls you into something, you know, I don't know about this, you can know about it. You can say, my God knows what's best, and I'm going. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. You will make it. God did not do these things begrudgingly. God didn't send Christ begrudgingly. He did it willingly. He did it joyfully. He did it lovingly. Lovingly. And my friend, the message today for those of y'all that do not know Christ as your Savior, you need to repent and believe. Today, if you'd say, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself. I'm in a heap of trouble, as one little boy said he prayed to receive Christ. I'm in a heap of trouble. You're right. That's a good prayer. 
Like the, the old song, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I must cling. I cannot save myself. And you turn from self, sin, and Satan, and you turn to God. You can't do one without the other. You can't believe and, and love your sin. See, some of you think you're saved because you said a prayer. You tried to, yeah, I believe in God. Head knowledge, that's all it was. And you, you believe in, in a God, so does Satan, by the way, but you don't want to give up your world and your ungodliness and your unrighteousness and your filthiness. But my friend, when you truly have an experience, a born-again experience of where God comes to you and opens your eyes, you're going to look at those things and go, Bleh, I don't want them anymore. Oh, God, save me from them. And you're going to turn to the glorious face of the angel of the Lord. Jesus Christ, and you'll see with hands stretched open wide, nail scars, yes, but a smile on his face, and you go to him and say, oh my God, I depend only upon your cross and your empty tomb to save me, and he'll wrap you up in those arms, and he will save you from you. Somebody smile at least. He will save you from your sin. Come to him by faith today. Come to him by faith. And Christian, be moved by these things. See the cross afresh and anew. Are you dry? Are you backslidden? Are you feeling down? Well, I tell you, this is usually always the answer to Christians who are down. I know it's me, usually. And I'll tell you, you've gotten your eyes off Christ. And you have your eyes on yourself. Well, I don't deserve this. Life sure is tough. Say that to Joseph down in a prison for being lied to. Being, being thrown in a pit by his brothers. Say that to Paul and Silas in the prison having been beaten and put in stocks and chains. Well, I just don't feel like anybody appreciates me. Say that to Paul. Say that to Paul who said, All in Asia Minor hath forsaken me. Yet... I'm fixing to go preach the gospel in this synagogue where they hate me, they'll cuss me, and they'll run me out. You know why you're away? You have your eyes on yourself. I I guarantee you. Because if you have your eyes on Jesus, you won't worry about anything else. You'll take a knife, bind up your children, lay them on an altar, and be ready to execute them if Christ would have asked you to. If you have your eyes on him, and you believe in him. Now, we know he's not going to do that. We know he just did that to test Abraham. But my friend, what if he asks something great in your life? Keep your eyes on Jesus. We've been talking about uh, Tiff. She's going, going. What would make a young, beautiful woman want to go off? I mean, with all the, the great things in America and all the promise of a great life, the American dream... She's given it all up because she thinks the gospel of Jesus Christ and people being saved is more important than comfort. But what makes, a, what makes a missionary want to do that? What makes a person want to give up comforts of life to serve Jesus? Because they've got their eyes on the cross. Oh, my friend, I thank God, and, and, and uh, I didn't mean to get negative, but I thank God that there's not an antagonist who comes against us that can overcome us, that can separate us from the love of God. It is God who is for us and who sacrificed everything he had 
to save us. 